Welcome, everybody, to the Always Hope Podcast, a production of Willwood's Faith and Marriage. This is Dr. Mario Sacasa, and truly grateful to have you joining me for another amazing episode today. Okay, well, on this podcast, I have covered the topic of discernment many, many times. And I've always been able to look at the question with regards to best practices. How's the best way to discern? What should you be doing? But this is the first time that I've ever taken a spotlight to errors that I continuously hear from young adults about the discernment process. So all those previous episodes I've looked at how to discern. Well, today we're asking the question how not to discern. Joining me on the podcast today is Dr. Tom Neal, who is an expert on the spiritual life and discernment to banter and go back and forth because he's one of my good friends. And so we dissect these questions about errors that we commonly hear regarding the discernment process. So while, yes, this episode kind of takes a little bit of a critical approach, if you're looking for, again, a positive understanding of discernment, please check out all of those previous episodes that I've mentioned with Dr. Neal, with Father Gallagher, with Father James Rafferty, and with Sister Josephine Garrett. But in today's episode, we take a look at cynicism's role and its impact on discernment, why it's a good idea to be open to feedback and accountability when you are discerning, why your desires and interior motivations are part of the discernment process, how to be patient with yourself when there's a lack of clarity when discerning, and how to find balance when seeking external signs to confirm a decision. So when the show is done, please check me out at Facebook or on Instagram at Dr. Mario Sacasa. We'd love to be able to hear your own discernment stories or any other errors that you've encountered while you've been able to discern a certain decision in your life. But let's get into this episode with Dr. Tom Neal. Dr. Tom Neal, welcome back to the Always Hope Podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Dr. Mario Sacasa. It's so good to be here with you. It's been a long time. It, it feels like it has been. It really does feel like it. I mean, I, 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 when I started this podcast, I, I vowed to myself, I was like, every six months, I have to have Tom Neal on the episode on the show. <laughs> minimum, minimum every six months. And so the last episode we did was back in January. So we're, we're at 10 months now. So I got to get that second episode in wow. at least, at least, uh, at, at least, you know, once a year here, I can get you twice, twice a year, I can get you on on the podcast uh, because our conversations are, are rich. Uh, are energetic, are, um, are encouraging and uplifting. And so, uh, so I, I, I'm going to, I imagine that today's episode will be that. Um, for those who don't know, <laughs> I'll start by just giving a plug for our last episode on the topic of anxiety. Um, if listener, you have not heard that episode, as soon as this one is done, you want to check that one out, especially if you do struggle with anxiety or know somebody who mm -hmm. does. We really uh, wade into the waters of of the spiritual reality of anxiety as well as the, the physical and emotional realities that are there and trying to offer some advice and consolation about how to navigate that if this is something that you struggle with, um, which we know many people do. So, all right, that's uh, episode 64, but enough of that. That's in the past. We're not here to talk about the past. We're, 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 we're ready. We're ready, ready to go. We're ready to keep moving forward here with this one. I think this is episode Indeed. 84, by the way. I know you're, you made a fake. That's one. remarkable. <laughs> so... Mario, that's I can't believe that much has passed. Three three years, man. Since your beginning. Three years. We've been wow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's incredible. That is a lot of wisdom you've gathered from <laughs> remarkable people. I mean, really, the list of people you have, it's it's remarkable. Anyway, it, but again. It is. It really is. And uh I, I'm I'm just humbled to to you know be somewhere low. I guess my name's on the podcast, so I guess I have to take some credit for it. But uh but it's been it's been it's been a lot of work. I mean, so I so I'm, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna play a false humility right now. Like it's been a lot of work, and I'm grateful that, sure, that the audience has. has grown. 
I'm grateful that I've been able to interview so many fantastic people. Um, so, and there is a lot of wisdom on the podcast. That's for sure. So, mm-hmm. all right, enough Indeed. of this, enough of this. All right, let, 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 let's, keep, let's keep going. Let's keep going. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. We got a show to do. Enough, <laughs> enough of these pleasantries. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> let's get to the meat. Let's brother. get to the meat. All right, let's jump into it. People don't got all day for us to be polite with one another. Of course. So, all right. So. <laughs> The way I'm tagging the show is, you know, obviously it's always hope, and I've started, I've started really reflecting on on the virtue of hope. I've, it, obviously, that's been the whole focus of the show, so I didn't just start that. But like in the last three years, this has clearly been uh, an object mm-hmm. of my of my uh, imagination mm-hmm. and an object of my um, intellectual uh, studies has been the concept of hope, and I've really landed on hope kind of becoming two things. One is hope is 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 an is an emotion or virtue certainly that's activated. In uh, the the moments of despair, the moments when we're feeling underwater, that hope is is the anchor that kind of guides us through those difficult moments. But mm-hmm. hope is also um, something that guides us even when we're not in kind of a despairing or or you know under the water type of feeling. It's something also that mm-hmm. even if we're feeling good, as we're looking forward to life, we still want tomorrow to be better than today. We still want to have goals that we're trying to achieve. We're still trying to move sure. forward in our lives. And so hope still leads the way, even in those circumstances. And so I, I'm trying to say that the show here is, is for those who are hopeless and those who are directionless, um, that that we're offering kind of emotional support kind of on both ends of, 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 sure. this, of this definition or this experience of hope. And so with that, then I've done numerous episodes on the topic of discernment, um, how to discern well, how to know when you're emotionally healthy to discern, the impact of pornography mm-hmm. in discernment, prayer in discernment, all sorts of different questions in discernment. Mm-hmm. But as you and I have talked about many, many times off off, off camera, off, off microphone or whatever, off the record, um, we've experienced kind of particular questions um, of uh, or errors, I would say, of discernment. If people have brought up in, in the context of private conversations that we're having, whether it's for me counseling mm-hmm. or for you, in terms of the the many many people that you that you mentor and that you listen to their stories, sure. and so I thought that today was an episode to to really focus on how not to discern, you know, or what like what's 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 the wrong way of of, <laughs> of doing this. So so if you want a good framework sure. of a positive, listen to all those other episodes I just mentioned. If you want particular questions about how to how to how to not do what we're about to talk about, um, how to avoid it, and why to avoid it. Then, uh, then, then I think this is this is what we're going to get into today. So, so you ready, Tom? You ready to jump in with me? I'm ready. Uh, it's a great topic. The via negativa <laughs> is the best way to think about things. Oh, how, what are, what are the pitfalls I should avoid first? Yeah, yeah. The, the via negativa. Sure. You know, w- when I started the show, I was I was I was pretty burnt out as a therapist. So, so the idea of always cynical was uh, was on the table, but uh, but I didn't think that was as catchy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think always you know, always hope had a better ring to it than uh than always despondent. You know that was the other one. So we could have we could have gone in either well, direction. It, it, but it's a perfect it's a perfect uh, connection between cynicism and hope because really <laughs> cynics are terrific because cynics are willing to look at reality for what it is. Mm-hmm. But the difference between a cynic uh, and a person uh, who is a Christian who is a realist as well is that a cynic is someone who can see reality without hope. Mm. Uh, and a Christian is a person who can see reality for what it is with hope. Uh, and there's an immense difference. But cynics have a role, have a gift to, to provide. Simply, they can expose the reality as it is. They just have nothing to offer in terms of where it can go. Yes. Because for a cynic, ultimately, there's 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll take a cynic over over somebody who's naive any day of the week. Absolutely, uh, because naivete doesn't isn't isn't anchored in reality. Um, you know, yes. having the Pollyanna kind of rose colored glasses doesn't doesn't help you in life. And so, at least a cynic recognizes that there is danger and that there is things to be concerned about, um, or there's reality things that should be taken into consideration. But you're absolutely right. The cynic is without hope because the cynic looks at everything and says, "And this is this is all there is." And, uh, and, and it's, yeah. and it comes to the conclusion that it all stinks. Um, so. And that makes me think Mario, in terms of the sermon, the, mm-hmm. uh, of a, the story from second Samuel when David is, I think he's coming back from war, from victory and battle. And then there's this particular man whose name is escaping me right now, who along the way, as he's traveling, comes up to the, uh, the Royal entourage and begins to curse and insult the King and throw rocks at him. Uh, condemning him for all of his crimes against God and humanity. Uh, and the guards around David said, should we take this man and dispatch him immediately, take his head off immediately? And says, no, and David says, no, maybe the Lord has sent him to me to speak truth, Ugh. even if he's doing it in a way, by the way of cursing. <laughs> so uh, David is the exemplar of the discerning man because he knows even the atheist, the cynic who curses, uh, is is a necessary means to keep you grounded in reality. Well, I mean, that's why we should listen to our critics also. And uh, we can't just exactly. write everybody off. Where the church should have some self-reflection, you know, uh, when at times it, it needs to listen to to critics that are, that are uh, waging, um, again, critiques or, or lobbying um, negative uh, comments against it. It's, it's not always... It's not always, right. you know, as you said, um, something that's that's bad. Now, of course, obviously, you have a balance in that, but at the same time, recognizing that that God uses all things, um, and so, uh, so, yes. so, so, there it is from Tom Neal, everybody. Just uh, embrace cynicism, and uh, that's the way to hold him. <laughs> Yes. Keep your your cynical friends close. Keep to you. your yeah, 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 yeah. Keep keep uh, keep your friends close. Keep your cynical friends closer. I think is the way the expression goes, right? That's that's perfect. It's perfect. Gosh, but it, but it really is perfect, Mario. Because that if you wanted to say what's what's the first thing that comes to mind when I think of how not to discern, it's to insulate yourself against all possible criticism mm. of your own insulated perspective. Well, let's just go into it. Tell me more about that. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, uh, I guess first of all, that that no one can ever come to the truth of things to see things rightly. Uh, without the help of others around them. I mean, this is the way God designed the system. We we must depend on each other. Friend of ours, Ellen Murphy, uh, that we know in Tallahassee, has Sage. a famous saying. She says, "We're we're made in weakness so that we might supply for each other." Mm. So God makes us weak so that we must depend on each other because that's why how how He's uh, set the system up. So so we need each other uh, to supply for our blind spots as well as to encourage and strengthen us to support us to hold our arms up like uh, you know Aaron and and uh, Aaron and, and who is the other one who held Joshua? Joshua who held up the Aaron and Joshua, yeah, right? the arms hold, of Moses, Moses yeah so up, you yeah. need right but uh, so there's that but there's also you know the kind of and I was telling this to the seminarians yesterday in class there's a kind of a principle of the desert fathers that that no one can guide himself or herself in the spiritual life. You must have someone else with whom uh, you journey in the in the journey of discerning God's will or what is to be done. What must I do? You have to have someone else who can help you to see. Uh, and you must have someone who is absolutely willing to tell you the honest truth and who has a perception of the truth. So you have to have someone who is wise, hopefully somewhat experienced, 
in life and in the spiritual life in this case, but also someone who is willing to be brutally honest, who doesn't see that they have to take care of your feelings, to take care of you, protect you from being hurt, et cetera, but they want you to grow and see what you need to see. And you have to have the disposition, conversely, to be open to and seek out people who can be honest and truthful and not to protect yourself because you can't see the whole picture. It's impossible. Um, and so, I, so the willingness to be criticized, the willingness to be um, evaluated, the willingness to be a subject to someone else's perspective, which doesn't mean you sub submit yourself to that blindly, but you allow that to enter into your judgment um, is the only way that anyone can have uh, a perspective on life expansive enough to allow them to see the bigger picture. Yeah. Amen. Uh, Amen. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no. So, I mean, and it also it, doing that cultivates important virtues like humility, mm -hmm. like the humility of, 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 of knowing that, um, that you don't have everything. You don't have the whole picture. You don't see everything on your own. You need to rely on someone else. So I, I think the cultivation of humility is so important. Um, and people, and just as an offshoot of that, people who, for example, might claim that, that, that God speaks to them, right? Kind of God speaks to them, puts things on their heart, you know, uh, reveals things to them, which is, by the way, absolutely part of our tradition. But, but if you, if you claim those things and you don't have any place to bring that for uh, a testing of that, uh, mm -hmm. a kind of discernment of that, um, to bring it to someone else, but you kind of allow that to become your own rule, and your own path, uh, whatever you yourself judge uh, that God is saying to you in the moment. Uh, well, at least in our spiritual tradition, that's a that's a it's a it's a deadly path, um, and it because we're we're fallen, broken human beings who are um, who are um, riddled with uh, what we call concupiscence, this kind of inward inward turned disposition to uh, kind of kind of turn the world in on ourselves and make things serve our own self-interest first, uh, God's voice, as we seem to hear it and perceive it, can easily be caught up into that that cycle there and become part of that without someone else outside to help us to, to kind of see that and be willing to critically evaluate it with us and see how it fits into the larger picture. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're going to talk about kind of those private revelations, external external revelations. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but focusing mm -hmm. on on this concept that you're speaking about in terms of like acknowledging our incompleteness of of of, mm -hmm. of you and having some humility when it comes to discernment. Um, I, I'm thinking right now of um, well Sigmund Freud of all people, you know, who who said that sure. who said that the the psychoanalyst can't analyze himself precisely for that same reason because he's blind to his own um, subconscious motivations. And so Certainly, he's coming sure. from, again, that more negative kind of perspective, but there's still truth in that and recognition that if we are finite beings, um, then that means our perspective is finite. And so I possibly can't know everything about myself or everything about what God is doing because that's just not the way it works. And so being mm -hmm. able to be open to other people and, and testing certain desires and testing certain questions about, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. Is, what do you guys think about that? Opening yourself up to to feedback from people who love you, people who you trust. Again, not just everybody on the internet, not random strangers, but but really people who who you know have uh, your best interests in their hearts. And so being able to open yourself up to that so that, so that you can be, um, uh, I would say, 
humble and open to their perspectives, hear that, hear those critiques if, if they're if they're leveled. But then the other piece is, is with regards to accountability, that if as soon as we think that we're above ca- accountability or that we, we've risen mm-hmm. so high in the pecking order of an institution mm-hmm. uh, that we no longer need any sort of um, checks mm-hmm. or balances or, 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 or critiques or any of those things, you know, then, then we're in a bad place. I, I think about a professor who doesn't take seriously the comments that uh, students will, will, will say at the end of a semester. Um, so a professor should take seriously what those comments are, even if there's some negative criticisms that the students are, are, are saying against them. There are opportunities for you to be able to grow. Um, again, if they're right. offered in charity, if they're just being mean or, or insensitive, then, then of course you let those things go. But of course, this all gets into questions of insecurities and all this other stuff of that course. we don't we don't want to make ourselves vulnerable to other people because, of course, we don't want to hear true. what they have to say. But bring of it course. back down to the sermon. If yeah, if, yeah, yeah, no, if, if we don't, if we don't, then we run the air of of falling into um, I don't know. I, I guess what I call a, a convenient mysticism. You know that uh, that that God just says yes to everything that I want. Um, and yeah. everything that I feel like I need, it's just going to work out for me. And, uh, and, and if you're blessed with certain skills and certain opportunities where you do have a lot of success, that isn't always w- what God's will. And that that's the challenge. Right. Um, and so, sure. so recognizing that there should be a place of, of accountability, of support, of real brotherhood, real fraternity, um, real friendship, uh, to be able to help you as you're trying to make decisions. And so first error that we're speaking about then is if you're trying to do it on your own, or you're trying to think that you, you could just pray enough and not share with anybody what you're thinking, um, those are those are kind of dangerous places to kind of walk into. Yeah, no, no, most definitely. Uh, and I think just two things around that Please. that I thought of as you said that, Mario. Uh, one is uh, that that if we only surround ourselves with people who already we know agree with us or will affirm us, then obviously that we, we, we can't expand our horizons at all. And that's I mean that's that's a temptation for any of us, right? Even when you go to confession, for example, right? And you go to confession, and if you know that, for example, I go to a confessor regularly that I know, and uh, and I do that partly because I know when I go to the priest to reveal my sins, it, it's really important for me if he's going to be able to give me the, the medicinal response in terms of his brief advice and any penance he gives me. He's going to need to see me honestly as I am, and I have to reveal myself in a way that's not going to uh, kind of uh, front load and anticipate what he's going to say in advance. In other words, I don't get him to kind of think about me what I want him to by saying what I've done in the way I think will get him there but I say things as honestly and boldly as possible with an openness to whatever feedback he has. Um, and I try, try to choose a confessor that I know who will, who will give me, uh, who will give me honest feedback, but whom I trust at the same time. So I think that, that the tendency of human beings to seek, uh, to only uh, be around or seek advice from people they think will confirm their already set intuitions or directions or opinions is something that all of us have to resist all the time. time. It's a natural protective measure. Because we just uh, want it. I mean, like just being honest, right? I mean, you you want the pat on the yeah. back, right? I mean, don't you want? You do. Don't you just want that? I mean, so I I I agree. Keep going. Sorry. Yeah, you. That's it. And, and and of course, all of us, as you know well from your profession, by degrees, have have difficulties with listening to criticism from others or critical feedback because of the experience of life we've had. 
of the way that certain people in our lives, whether they're parents or others who have given us criticism in a destructive or hurtful right. or painful way. Right. So, you know, being aware that that might be playing into it and probably in some way always is playing into it and, and wanting to be attentive to that, but yet not let that dominate me hmm. uh, to want to grow and to find a person who that I can trust will lead me along in a gentle, loving, but yet honest way that's, that's suited to me. I mean, that's, that's a tough thing. I mean, we, we have to pray for that. We have to really search for a person like that. That isn't, that isn't, I'm not saying that's an easy thing to find, but, but it, it's a, it's a goal that we have to set, uh, I think consistently. Um, so, so there's that point there. And, and there's a second point I was going to make. And I went so far into the first point, <laughs> that the second point well, it's, flew away it's from right. me. If it comes it back to you, back. don't you worry about it. But I'm going to take this it as an opportunity back. to let everybody know that if they want to leave a comment or uh, write a review for the podcast, that they can certainly do that on Apple Podcasts. Uh, but if you do write a negative one, I'm not going to pay attention to it. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because you are an exemplary <laughs> because, discerner, because I'm, I'm a complete hypocrite. <laughs> is, is, is what it comes down to. So, so <laughs> only positive so, comments, please, on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me. Do you mind if I use an example? Yeah, go right that's ahead. Perfect from that, Mario. Uh, knowing that you're speaking a truth in jest there, in terms of a general, the general point we're making, it's very funny. Um, I, one time in class, uh, we were talking about, um, you know, exemplars in scripture to people who are like this, who are good discerners because they are open. And I talked about the role of prophets in the Old Testament. Prophets are the, the voice of God as the, the one who brings brutal honesty to the people of Israel so that they can uh, self-reflect and come to repentance and, and kind of restore themselves back to the, the path of life, right. which is what they're discerning. How do we live in accordance with the law? That's the, the fundamental point of all discernment is how do I live my life, my unique life in accordance with God's law? Uh, that That's for the Jews and the New Testament. It's all that. And Amen. whether it's the Old Testament, it's the Ten Commandments or the, the kind of the law of Moses or in the New Testament, if it's the law of love that Jesus lays out and exemplifies in his life, the lion's share of discernment is simply that. Uh, and the, the kind of finer details that we oftentimes get tangled into and caught up in and is, is to do whether this or that in this place or that place with this person or that person and so forth. Th those things, if those become the center of the discernment and we lose that the larger discernment is the discernment to conform one's life to the law of love, to the law of justice and so forth, then we, we've lost discernment mm -hmm. because we put first things last and last things first. But in the Old Testament, I said, who's an example of someone who, who, who did this, who was willing to, in other words, allow the prophet to speak with God's own voice to them, receive the critique, and then respond accordingly? And, of course, the answer is David, King David. King David oh, yeah. is the Absolutely. really the only, almost Nineveh. the only of all the kings. Nineveh. And then the people of Nineveh, people of exactly. Nineveh. Mm -hmm. In terms of Jonah. Exactly, that was a, which is that was where I was just going. in the reading we just had at Mass. Oh, wow. Look at that. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's a, so, so yeah, that's right. So, 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 uh, so I, I, I was thinking about David. So David, unlike the other kings, had the prophet Nathan. Mm -hmm. And the prophet Nathan was a court prophet, meaning he worked in the king's court. And usually king court prophets aren't very good prophets because when you work for the king, you don't want to say anything critical <laughs> to the king. So you just affirm everything <laughs> about him. Uh, and these are the false prophets. Most of the false prophets in the Old Testament that are condemned by the true prophets are the ones who work for the king or work for the power, are paid by them and employed by them. Uh, the ones that God sends are usually from the outside come in 
or they're insiders who are then cast out because of their prophetic <laughs> vocations. So, so anyway, I didn't know that. yeah, That's it is awesome. fascinating. But, awesome. Dave, but, <laughs> but David held the perfect balance as, as, because he, the, the scripture says that what did God love so much about him? It said that he was after the heart of God, mm-hmm. which means that he wanted nothing more in life than to do God's will, which is the designs of God's heart. So that's what he wanted. And whatever that meant, he was willing to receive it. And, and the times when he betrayed that, uh, the design of God's heart, when he took Bathsheba as his own and then had her husband killed in war so he could have her um, and, and thought he could get away with it uh, mistakenly. And then Nathan comes and tells him the parable about the man with the little lamb, et cetera. Right. And then David is outraged at the, the parable, thinking it's a real story. And then Nathan turns it back on him and mm-hmm. says, that's you. Mm-hmm. You're the you're the one who slaughtered the little lamb of this man uh, to feast on that lamb. Uh, and then David's response is not to put the prophet to death, as many of the other kings did, or throw them in cisterns or things like that. But it's to it's to be in sackcloth and ashes, so to write Psalm 51 yes. by tradition. Have mercy on me, O God, and your kindness and your compassion blot out my offense. He's willing to receive the critique, but he receives the critique not directly by a, an inspiration from God who speaks into his ear, but through another person, mm-hmm. another man the one that God uses to speak the truth to him, because that's how God wants the body to work. He wants every member of the body to depend on the other members of the body to come to him and for him to come to them. Uh, And and this is part of the way that the sermon works in allowing those around us um, to speak into our lives and to help us see the fuller truth and, and to seek the people we know we need to hear. Um, to get a bigger picture or a more honest look at ourselves. So I think that becomes a model. David was not perfect at all, but David was was open to critique and open to repentance and changing his life based on what he learned through another. Yeah, I, I wish that when we read the Bathsheba story in the lectionary, I, and maybe it does go through all through the whole story, but so often mm-hmm. people stop at at the 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 at the murder of Bathsheba's husband, whose name is um, Uriah. Uriah, thank you. Uh, yep. Uriah's wife, of course, that's it. You know, that it's, not, it's like the story stops there and, and it doesn't, it continues. And, and it is the fact that, that David is able to listen to Nathan's admonition, that that's when you see David's character really kind of transform yep. and you recognize that he recognized that he made a grave mistake. And, and, and that's why I think that that story is so beautiful for my guys who struggle with, with pornography or sex addiction. It's a story that I repeat to them. Because it's it's not just about when they fall, and it's not to discredit that the fall is is significant, but sure. it's about how do you keep moving forward, and how does and you see that with David how he how he repents, how he puts himself in sackcloth and ashes, how he prays for the child um, and fasts for the child, um, and even though that the child ends up dying, he still is able to 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 repent appropriately and then move forward. And then the mystery of providence is that. He gets Uriah, I mean, um, Bathsheba pregnant again. And that second yes. child is Solomon, who's the wisest of all the kings. Solomon. I mean, so it's like the mystery of God's providence, like blows my mind, right? It is. The, it is indeed. But it is indeed. And you see, the, go ahead. No, no, no. Just go, go, go ahead. I'm trying to bring it back Finish. to the sermon because there's so many places we can kind of no, go. Who, go ahead. Yeah, we have to. So I'm going to allow you to do that because I tend to <laughs> tangentialize. Go. So uh, we could do other episodes of Providence. We've done that and, and uh, we can get back to that. But so, so I guess actually this is the segue then to Providence in terms of the second place where I really see uh, the concern of of an error um, that I've heard people talk about is is this kind of 
it's like this tug of war, this battle between my will and God's will. And I know we tackled sure. this episode, this conversation in our episode on, on free will, but I think it's important for us to kind of go back into this right now, because when it comes sure. to the question of discernment, I, I feel it kind of comes in a couple of places. One, it's almost like uh, people say, um, well, if it's what I want, then it possibly it just can't be what God wants, you know? So, so sure. as if there's like this, like the, the like the, there's inherently sure. a disconnect between the two. So I see that sure. or the, or what I also see, it's kind of connected to that, but, but I think even more dangerous is um, not more dangerous, but just as dangerous is almost like this sure. question of like, what I want isn't enough. And I feel like I have to get permission from God to do every little thing. And it's that piece sure. specifically that I, that I hear so often. It's like, I really want sure. this, but I don't really know if this is what God wants. And so I need permission from God to be able to move forward with this. And that's where so sure. much of this confusion comes from in terms of, well, what's your desire? And have you really discerned that? And, and have you really sure. done the interior work that's needed to be able to determine it? And if so, then go forward with it. Um, but sure. I feel like there's almost like, like I said, the sense of, of needing God's permission to do any little thing. What do you sure. think about this, Tom? Yeah, no, that's a great point. So, I, And I think there's two things at work in, in that in that proposition you just put out there, one of which is uh, that what I, what I myself want, desire, what I find joy in myself must not be what God wants because it seems that what God wants is what would cause me discomfort, ple- uh, misery, unhappiness, or, or be against my desire. Well, let me stop you right there. Don't, so, don't forget your thought, but I interrupt you because the context no. of that is we hear often sitting in the pews, the priest says, so here's my vocation story. I I was uh, 16 years <laughs> old and, and I heard God sure. say to me, I want to be a priest. And I said, I don't want to be a priest, God. I want to be married and I want to have kids. And and, uh, and God sure. said, no, you're going to the seminary, regardless of what you want, basically. And not that it's that harsh, <laughs> but to the people in the pews, sometimes like people who are discerning are like, oh my gosh, if, 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 and particularly those who struggle with scrupulosity are like, that, that means that, that sure. means that I'm called to be a priest because God doesn't, if God, clearly I don't want that. Clearly right I don't now. want that. And look at this guy's example, that, you know, yeah. that's, that's what it needs. So I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but, but yeah, no, 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 <laughs> it is. And I think, you know, it's a very good point. Yeah. <laughs> And although it's always dangerous to generalize, sure. Um, I think oftentimes when we tell vocation stories as heroic narratives, which is a temptation, right? It's a maybe it's a good thing we want to inspire people and tell them this heroic story that looks self-deprecating, but really it's heroic tucked underneath there, um, because it shows that I ended up doing the very thing that I didn't want to do for God, and so therefore I'm a model. I kind of stand up as a model for you know death to self. Um, well. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's true. I mean, there's a beauty beauty to that. But uh, the, the, the reality is, at least in my experience of human beings and uh, myself, is that the deeper story is a lot more, has a lot more continuity in it than, than they let on to. Now, of course, there are stories of radical changes and radical uh, interventions like Paul in the road to Damascus, where someone is kind of almost ambushed by God uh, and, then, and then told you know, in a dramatic way, uh, what it is that uh, he or she must do. And, and as Peter Kreeft beautifully says in an article he wrote uh, on discernment, he said that, that but that, that's by way of miracle hmm. and not by way of the ordinary means by which God works for most people. And if we make the ordinary, the miraculous kind of way of God's intervening at particular points in history for designs that he alone has, and we make the extraordinary miracle, the ordinary means, 
and then apply that to ourselves normally, then we're going to get screwed up because then we expect our life to be a continual series of miracles happening where there are these interventions that disrupt my life and my life pattern and flow and don't show a continuity of development over time. Um, but, but rather, you know, kind of, uh, show that the, the kind of standard operating procedure for God is disruption, opposition, and, and kind of throwing me off course without warning. You know, and that, that just is not the way God works in a standard way. And even those who have these kind of disruptive moments, even Mother Teresa, right, on the train to Darjeeling and to the retreat, she has that Jesus appeared to her and asked her to essentially go out of the convent walls, the safe convent walls, and go into the streets and the gutters. Um, you could say, okay, uh, that's a sudden change that Jesus now goes against what she wanted. But actually, that's not the case. If you if you knew the woman before that, as she describes herself, that's seeking God's will earnestly mm. uh, and that wants to. And when she sees the suffering of the people outside the walls before that experience, she's deeply moved with what she sees and wants to do something about it. And then Jesus on this train reveals to her, this is what your heart already is stirring to want to do. It's just not in a direction you imagined was possible. You know, so so there's a continuity there. I think the danger is to think with these heroic narratives people tell about them dying to themselves because they do the very thing they didn't want to for God, is that it makes it seem like that's a that that that's the pattern, uh, and they fail to tell the details that that connect all the dots that would say actually where this person ended up really did speak to the desires of their heart, mm. uh, either early on or as their heart evolved and grew, because ultimately to do God's will. Even if it's hard, if it is his will, will flow from within our freedom, which means it will flow uh, from within our desire, right? It, it, which doesn't mean that we're going to always be in harmony with it and pleased with it, but there's going to be a sense of continuity between what's going on inside of me and where I'm drawn and attracted, et cetera, and what's happening there. Um, so I think that that's what that's one thing I think that's important to to to, to realize, and that. Um, just because something is hard doesn't mean it's the right thing, right? That it's the better thing uh, just because it's hard. It has to it has to fit with other criteria as well, right? So if I mean, if I'm I'm married to my wife, you know, we've been married for 26 years, and if I suddenly decide one day I, I feel, you know, it would be much harder for me to, you know, um, to be away from her. You know, I love being with her all the time. To be away from her a lot more. Uh, that would be far harder for me. So I think what I'll do is I won't come home for several days straight in a row uh, and, and and endure the pain of that. And that's the harder thing. So whether or not that was actually in accord with the the, the calling of my marriage mm-hmm. and with her and, you know, it's a, you know, that's a silly example, yeah. but the point being that just thinking the harder thing, the more painful thing, the more unpleasant thing, therefore is the better thing simply is not the case yeah. at all. Um, so I think just those are very general. No, those are great. That, that's great. Great. Certainly a silly example, but, but, but certainly to the point, you know, it, I want to touch back on what you said in terms of desire. Um, I'm rereading Wild at Heart and um, I, I read it 20 something years ago when it first oh, came out. Like oldie goldie, yeah. yeah. And then, and then I'm, I'm, I'm reading it now and it's actually been great kind of revisiting it where I first read it as a, as a, as a 20 something year old, 25 year old, however it was, I read it. And now, uh, 41 rereading it, kind of having a very different perspective in terms of my state in life right now. Um, but the, the book's great, certainly has its limitations. And, and, and I say that for sure. Um, but that's not the point of this today's episode, but there's one quote that John Eldridge says in the book that, that really kind of struck me. He says something to the effect that like our, our desires reveal, reveal what we are made for. 
Um, and, and I think that's really beautiful. Like if we really do the hard work of purifying our desires, again, not every desire because we have desires for Snickers and desires for candy bars and desires for, for social media and all sorts of other desires. But like if we do the work of temperance and, and being able to, to fast again appropriately and being able to temper our desires and, 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 and be still in them, uh, if we pay attention to what's really at the core, if one of these things continues to pop up repeatedly over the course of your life, it's like, man, that's what I'm supposed to do. And so then really the virtue that's needed to pursue that desire isn't so much permission, it's rather it's courage. We need courage to be able to take that leap of faith to follow through mm. with whatever that thing oh, is that God has put in our hearts. So, so sometimes we feel that we need permission because sometimes permission makes it easier for us. If I have the great clarity that this is 100% the person I'm supposed to marry, or if 100% this is exactly what I'm supposed to do, this is what God wants for me, then I can step out sure. and do it. But then there isn't any courage that's required in that because it's it becomes a an easy path that you just kind of walk into um, rather than sure. actually needing to to the 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 the, the muspa so to speak to say I'm going to step out into the unknown thinking sure. and believing that this is what God has for me um, but I'm still going to take that leap of faith knowing that it may not be uh, but nevertheless that the the pursuit of my desire if it's a true and holy desire is the pursuit of God. Sure. No, I think that's right. I think those are uh, so excellent points, especially, uh, well, the, the last point you make is the most important one, which is the desire of my heart uh, itself manifests God's desire for me. I think there's a, a profound truth in that as long as it's coupled with the other thing you said, which is that we are constantly striving to purify our desire, yes. to purify our desire and to, to have our desire rightly ordered towards the right things, which is, you know, kind of put it, in moral terms, it's like is cultivating the life of the virtues to be virtuous. You mentioned temperance, whatever the virtues, courage, you know, prudence, good judgment, um, uh, and, and and developing and overcoming our vices, and then as part of that, having people around us who can help us to be uh, clear on exactly what that is, what the desires of our heart really are. But the other side of the desires of the heart that I think it's important, Mario, which you've alluded to. Uh, is is that the desires of our heart ultimately are ordered towards love. In other words, the purpose of life is to love, is to love God and to love neighbor. That's, that is, so what is the human vocation in its most basic and universal sense? It's it's that. Everything spins off of that. So so the question is never simply a question of kind of an, an insular view of what do I desire in and of myself in isolation from anything else and anyone else. And then I kind of work out of that into well, where, where can other people fit into what I want, but rather it's a, it's an intimate conversation between what are the needs of the world around me? Uh, what are the things that I have to offer it? And how does my desire lead me to connect gift to need in, in a particular way? And if you keep the center of gravity of your discernment, not in the ego and the self, but in the other, and the other being God, but but God particularly as manifested in the other around me, the neighbor. And, and so the, the question becomes not what's the harder thing to do in itself, harder for me, but what is the more loving thing to do for the people around me? What is the thing that will maximize the, the, the manner in which I can express love in, in 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 a way that is in accordance with who I am, my limitations, my particular state in life, my gifts, my abilities, uh, and so forth, uh, and how how can those be brought into some kind of harmony with each other? I think the real the real 
a kind of a danger in our culture because our culture is so intensely focused on the individual mm-hmm. fulfillment as an isolated reality that then has to kind of once you get yourself figured out, then you kind of go to everyone else and then figure out where they fit into it is that when you don't begin with the presupposition of the other as essential to who I am and my desire and my fulfillment, and then make that connection through love, uh, then you end up locked in a cul-de-sac you can't get out of. There's no way to exit that place uh, in, in, in any way. Um, okay, That's I'll right. stop there. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and, and uh, that is, of course, the danger of our culture and, and the danger within the church sometimes, even when we get into some of these kind of new movements and spiritualities that kind of become navel-gazing and we just end up being insular and focused entirely on ourselves and never being required to then move beyond that and move towards that that, yes. that question of love. Hey, everybody. This is Dr. Mario Sakasin. I'm just taking a quick break from my conversation with Dr. Tom Neal to want to give a little plug here for this project that I've been working on over the last couple of years and that I'm happy to finally be able to start talking about. It's called Dating Well. It is a series that I'm putting together. Currently, we are still in production. We have recorded a number of the episodes, but it is an online course that is helping you discern dating and how to be able to date better and all the things that we're talking about in this episode and in previous episodes with regards to relationships and discernment. I'm putting all of this together along with everything that I've learned over the last 15 years of of marriage counseling and walking with young people as they have dated, as they've moved towards marriage or breaking up, helping people being able to navigate those questions. So the series is called Dating Well. And I'm super excited about it. We have 19 great lessons that are going to take you by the hand from the beginning of the relationship all the way to the end, whether that end is breaking up or whether that is in marriage, for sure, the dating process when it ends and being able to help you understand what are the questions you should be asking? What should you be thinking? How should you be reflecting or thinking about the relationship as you're kind of walking through the various stages of a relationship? So super excited, like I said, to be able to share this with you. I'm happy to start talking about it, but I'm saying it now just to ask for your prayers, please, as we continue the production of this dating course, again called Dating Well, that it will be available on the Faith and Marriage site here in the next couple months. As soon as we're able to get it out there, I, of course, will let you guys know. But please, please, please pray for us as we are doing this project and getting this thing off the ground. So thanks, everybody. You know, when I think about then this question of why do we feel the need to to have to make permit to have God's permission in every little thing? Yeah, that's good. I'm um, glad you circled you back. You know, bring it back to that question. I, I think about this generation and and I really have prayed hard about this question in terms of like why why is it that this this cohort more than any other cohort seems to struggle the most with decision making? Um, why is there so much anxiety when it comes to this particular group of young people, and and what makes it difficult? And so, here's my speculations um, that that I mm-hmm. would say. Um, the first is that in in a culture of abundance, um, there's just so many options, and and we know this through consumer science research that um, too many choices. It's the paradox of choice. If you have too many choices, you're not going to make a choice. Um, and so you, you know, it, when it comes to the, the study that, that that I've seen or heard or read referenced the most is is something about. Uh, you know, jams in in the grocery store. And so they did an experiment where you had 26 styles of jam and measured how many people actually came in and and picked a jar of jelly versus an (laughs) aisle that only had eight jars of jelly. What's the percentage of people that would uh, pick uh, the type of jelly, you know, versus, you know, with with that group versus the other group? 
And the research shows very clearly that when you had eight choices, people are more able to, to make a decision and feel better about the decision that they made. So rather than the people that had too many choices, they struggled to make the decision. Often they would feel whelmed by the choice and would just walk away. Or even if they did make a choice, they would end up second guessing themselves more often about whether or not the choice that they made was in fact the right one because there were other ones. And so in a world of overabundance, think about dating, dating apps, all this stuff when it's like swipe right, swipe left, swipe right, swipe left. There's so many choices that you you can commodify um, people and, 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 and always feel like there's there's something better that could be out there that you don't really know. And so That's too cool. many choices is, is one thing that I think really makes it difficult for, for this cohort uh, because of the abundance sure. age that we live in. The second thing is, um, is and I say this with respect, but like the, the supreme virtues of our day and age are really kind of kindness, I think, and, and politeness. And while certainly we need mm. gentleness and kindness, there's no doubt about it. But sometimes it, it, it comes across as this kind of passivity that uh, that I must be, you know, kind of not step on anybody's toes and I can't really do anything to ruffle feathers. And, and again, I'm not, I'm not encouraging belligerence or, or being a, 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 a jerk or anything, but, but, mm. but what, it gets lost sometimes in kindness is is an appropriate sense of assertiveness, an appropriate dis, uh, the sense of I, I need to move forward with this. I need to push this ball forward. I need to take this. I need to move again. Sometimes this can be this can be inappropriate. We're talking about taking the bull by the horns, but sometimes we need to push forward, and we need to step into the dark, and we need to be able to say, okay, I'm going to move forward with this, even if this mm -hmm. makes people upset. You think about Nathan the prophet, his discernment, then to be able to say, mm -hmm. all right, I know what might happen. I might get thrown in the cistern. I might get killed because this is mm -hmm. the king, but I'm still going to step forward mm -hmm. in doing this um, because I feel that this is what I need to do. So, so mm -hmm. again. This overabundance of of gentleness, of kindness, which again are virtues that I certainly try to extol in my own life and my kids' life, but again, it, balance coupled with um, mm. what we've been talking about with courage in terms of stepping forward and, and mm. having an appropriate sense of assertiveness, and, mm. and belief that you have some say in your life, that you haven't just abdicated agency to everybody and every other sure. thing, that there's some personal sure. responsibility that I'm going to to move forward with. And then the last thing that I would say in terms of why I think this generation mm -hmm. struggles is um, they just haven't been they haven't been given permission to fail um, and they haven't been mm -hmm. given the opportunities to fail because everything's been wow. taken care of them. And so the, the, the mm -hmm. downfall of the helicopter parenting, and this is something that Jonathan Haidt has spoken beautifully about in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind. Is I think he relays his finger on this that there hasn't been opportunities because of fear and because of abundance and all sorts of things and constant surveillance and everything else that we have, the kids just haven't had the opportunity to appropriately develop self confidence and competence and confidence only comes through mm -hmm. trial and error. That's it. That's the, that's the only way you can become competent in something. You want to sit down and learn how to play the piano. The, those first three months are going to be awful. No one's going to want to be in the room mm. next to you as you're learning how to play it because it's not going to sound like anything whatsoever, but you have to stick to it and you got to work on the mm. fingers and work on the notes and get the timing mm. right. And that trial and error as you kind of navigate that is ultimately what leads you to competence. Any skill, that's the way it is. But when we're not given these opportunities to fail in life as a whole, life is a skill, decision-making as a skill, when we're not given the opportunity to make bad decisions mm. uh, because of fear of failure, then we are stuck we are stuck, and that is why I think that that 
there's so much of this this question of I need permission because I'm so afraid to fail. It's okay if you fail. It's actually part of the process. If you fail, that's not a bad thing. Like you tried it. You you, awesome. you 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 have to give yourself permission to at least try to mm-hmm. pursue whatever that thing is that God has in your heart. And even if it fails, there's still a lesson and there's still something formative um, that God is trying to do, even in the midst of that supposed mm-hmm. failed discernment. Wow, that was really stupendous. By the way, that, that, those those three or four points that you just made uh, themselves could could each take an entire yeah, yeah, show yeah, exactly. just to yeah. drill down into. I mean, seriously, but you you're you're so clear. So I'll just I'll just I'll just briefly uh, briefly everything's seminary the other day said brief is a relative term for you, Doctor. <laughs> um, so briefly, as I tell uh, all my guests, it's no problem. I get to edit, so I have final say. Uh, that's so, right. So. You can cut out all the yeah, all the lanyap, all the extra fat. Uh, <laughs> so the, 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 I guess the, you made several points up front, but the first one that stood out to me was just was too many things to choose from. Right, the, the, the options that we have, and I think. There's a book by Russell Shaw, whom I am a great devotee of in terms of his work on discernment, his book on, on um, personal vocation, Russell Shaw, mm-hmm. S-H-A-W, is, is probably, I think, even though it's, 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 a, it's a bit dry here and there, but I think it's the most helpful approach overall to vocation because it sets, I think, a clear, very sensible, balanced context as to how vocation is to be made, but he also kind of gives a history of the evolution of the idea mm. of discerning vocation. And what he, points he made is, so why has the idea of discerning vocations for non-religious and clerics really only come into its, its, its own in the last, well, 400 years since St. Francis de Sales in the 17th century really wrote the very first um, spiritual treatise addressed directly to a lay person who lived in the world? Uh, and then talk to them about how to discern God's will. And that was but, introduction to the what, devout life, just to give the context of that. That's right. Thank you. Introduction to the devout life. Exactly. Um, but one of the things he says is, well, one of the reasons that it didn't come into its own was not because of clerical oppression or other things like that, of the laity. It was that the vast majority of people, laity, um, did not have any options in terms of mobility in life mm. where they were born That's so and raised. That's they so stayed, yeah. they lived, they faithfully lived out as best they could mm. and they died. Wow. Uh, and so your place in life was pretty much set until modernity opened up the radical mobility that we now think is normal. Mm. Um, that was not the case. So discernment was, was in a sense quite simple wow. because your only discernment was how will I live? Well, what I've been given in life and what I can do within these very small, narrow parameters. And that's very humbling to realize that that's, that's the majority of human history for the majority of human beings lived pretty much in that state. And only a very small percentage of them had the luxury to discern among several options. Yeah, I think the average were person said, good options. you know, 500 years ago, only traveled within a eight mile radius of their home or something like yep. that. And that was it. Yep. Nope. It's astonishing. I did more than eight miles today when I was driving into my office, my car. I mean, like, it's yeah, just, no, it's like, that. yeah. And isn't that amazing? That's an amazing point, Tom. That's really great. So, no, it blew my mind, and it really was very eye-opening to the point you make about the the kind of the, the real difficulty of uh, of almost an unlimited number of options. Um, that not only does that confuse us and make it difficult to select, but it also begins to make us think that life is an endless, as you said, kind of a consumer product. Life is an endless new selection of new opportunities and new options. And God's always doing a new thing, 
moving to the next thing. And so there's never any stability. There's never any, you know, roots being planted, et cetera. Now that's a whole different question, but, but, but back to the point. And even by the way, I was the seminarians yesterday in class. Again, we were talking about how in the 12th and 13th century, if a woman wanted to enter into convent, her, her family had to have enough money to give a dowry to the convent for her to enter, which means most women couldn't enter a convent because most people were too poor to give a dowry to a convent. So, I mean, even you, if you felt, quote unquote, felt called to religious life, you couldn't follow that because it simply was not an option. Um, so Incredible. anyway, so I think that, that that's important, uh, not only to realize why it's, it's paralyzing and then to kind of figure out what do I do? How do I simplify, therefore, my options and simplify my life so I don't constantly expose myself to endless options all the time? Mm-hmm. That can be very confusing and, and fragmenting. Um, but also to, to be careful not to confuse the endless options with God constantly giving me new things to do and new assignments and endless endless movement being just by the very fact that I'm being presented with new opportunities constantly must mean therefore, uh, et cetera. So I think that there's a balance in those things, right? Those are, you know, you don't want to just go with assumptions, whether or not God indeed and, and your own um, living out of your path uh, in your life, you know, demands of you to to change multiple times throughout your life that's a different question yeah. but anyway so i think that's the first point i'd like to make um the second one which you really i love is the courage to try you know what god asks us to discern is not his will with an absolute certitude but he just he, he asks us to discern and try you know try to explore the option that we seem to have made now obviously there are certain points in a discernment where we make choices that are definitive and are no longer tryworthy, like marriage, yeah, marriage. Yeah. or or ordination to the priesthood. When you make promises that are lifelong, right. you don't enter into a, a your trial phase has ended, yep. uh, and you now have entered into a stable commitment by the very nature of the commitment you've made. But but it's important for people to to realize that that's part of the deal. If if you expect um, apodictic, which means absolute certitude, when it comes to knowing what God wants you to do, whether it's in the next moment or with the next big decision of your life then you will never make a decision. Mm-hmm. You will live in perpetual paralysis. Well, what is um, the I can't quote imagine that you how said one at ever... the beginning before we started? Yeah, <laughs> it's a great quote. Uh, and I, w- I wish I could give credit uh, where credit's due. I'll, I'll look for it later. But it, it is a, a spiritual theology professor, I think it was from the 1970s, who said, ever since the sermon came into vogue, no one has made a decision <laughs> since. <laughs> and what he means he's talking about the mystification of discernment yes. like mystifying it either by expecting that we're going to have absolute certitude or by believing that god will mystically intervene at every moment to reveal to us what it is he wants us to do which is crap mm-hmm. i mean which excuse me which is i gotta bleep you out right. tom that's the second time yeah i today. know i did oh my goodness <laughs> yeah. i'm gonna have to put, so, I another, have to put I an e explicit okay. rating on this episode holy cow well, tom you- Neal, <laughs> keep the kids at home when you listen to always Hill podcast <laughs> <laughs> I, I bit the apple again. <laughs> How many times am I going to repeat Adam's sin? <laughs> anyway, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> okay. You're so good. You're I didn't fine. even know I said yeah, this. The word. I know. I love anyway. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, okay. I'm glad you love it. But, but if you know, people expect either absolute certitude all the signs line up, the internal feelings are all right. Everyone around me agrees, you know, and I open the scriptures and it said exactly what I'm going to do. And it was perfect. Then they will never make a decision right. or they will 
be wandering in circles the rest of their life, living a chaotic life. And the people who pay most for those are not themselves, but the people that they let down and drop along the way, mm. even though they themselves might feel good about themselves. Lots of people have suffered from the chaos. Mm. Anyway, um, I probably shouldn't have taken that bite. No, now. that's okay. You're um, good. No, no, no but let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me interject here, because you, know, you talk about then, you know, this kind of analysis by paralysis inability. Listen, the parable, of the, good, yeah. the, parable, the parable of the talents makes it very clear that uh, inaction is a far greater sin than, than uh, action sure. that yields little fruit. It's it's it, the guy who gets That's scolded it. isn't he didn't do any That's he it. didn't steal the master's money he didn't he all he did was bury the talents that's it and that's because right. he didn't do anything Good. like that's when he gets that's when he gets uh, scolded the guy who did five he yeah. got five back the guy who got ten got ten back again God isn't necessarily caring about um uh, what the fruit is it, he does care about that for sure but but he's not looking at it the same way we're looking at it what he what he cares about though is that right. you tried. And because the That's trying it. is is the process that um, helps pull the best out of you. That's that's what tests do. That's what suffering sure. does. You think about sports and athletes who long to play in the big games. Why? Because they know that when they're yeah. they're playing the best competitors, the best version of themselves has to show up. And so the best competitor forces the best of awesome. the athlete to emerge. And so it is the sense that like you have to engage, you have to engage. And uh, just thinking that you can, you know, just kind of bury the talents um, it isn't going to be enough. So, okay, Tom, I, I have to move on though, because I, I know I want us to keep talking Come about on this. Come on now. Because I want to get to the place that I know where you want to go. I know where you no, want to go today. On. I love this stuff. I know, this is great. I know you had other notes. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but 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 I know where you want to go. I know what you want to say, and, and I'm just going to lob this up for you. So here's, because we're, we're, we're close to an hour already in the show. Are you serious? Yeah, I'm serious. It's, it, we're we're ready. We're ready to get close to an hour. So the the last danger, I guess, or concern of 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 the sermon, and probably this is the most pernicious that we've seen, is uh, I shouldn't say that just yet. Um, it, it can be is an improper balance between, and you've been alluding to this already in terms of um, signs and external signs uh, versus sure. kind of internal uh, desire and and and, and motivation. And so sometimes sure. we place too much emphasis on the external science. Now, sometimes it can be comical. People play Bible relay, you know, type of thing and open it up and like, this is the sure. passage that God wanted me to read, you know, uh, the book of Leviticus, which uh, I don't know why anybody, or the book of Numbers. There, there's there's, there's a source of inspiration for you. Just read, read the book of Numbers. <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> anyways, I'm sure everybody fast forwarded that in the Bible in the Year podcast. So, uh, so like, anyways, the the point is that um, uh, sometimes we we look for these external signs. So, I, I want you to speak a little bit more about what's a healthy balance in terms of should we pray for the novena to get the roses at the end, um, or sure. is there something should we hang our hat on uh, on on a saint's feast day being on the same day that we make a decision or some of these kind of external signs, how do we appropriately navigate that? And when is it, again, when is it appropriate and when is it in accordance with tradition? And and when is it not? Sure. No, that <laughs> it's a very good question and it's a very complicated and difficult question to answer. That's why I want to uh, make sure you we had enough it. time to get to it. That's yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm glad. I'm glad because I know this is what we really, we wanted to get to this as well. Yes. So I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And that's, it's a, it's a very important question. I think, you know, it, as with anything, it, it, you, you always look at to try and determine what is the middle way. In other words, the, the kind of balanced, healthy way 
you always look at what the extremes are that you're trying to navigate. And, and, and when we talk about this kind of thing, like signs, uh, external kind of signs and confirmations, um, extraordinary things, in other words, out of the ordinary uh, things, we, we try to be somewhere between uh, skepticism, meaning we don't accept the fact that God can act in the course of our lives in ways that are, you might say, real-time manifestations of his will of good pleasure, which I'll talk about in a second, his will of good pleasure, uh, through remarkable signs, wonders, miraculous kinds of things, etc. cetera. Uh, so there's the skepticism that refuses that out of hand and just says, just get about the business of having a hard head, think clearly, and then do what you know best, you know, but, but don't look for any of that stuff. That stuff is all useless or misleading. So ignore it completely. So I think that's the skepticism side. Then there's the credulity, right? Credulity, credulosity, meaning uh, overly simple faith that believes everything at face value as somehow communicating in, a, in an obvious, clear, and, uh, you know, um, not needing to be interpreted or um, evaluated or discerned way what God wants. It's just, it's, it's obvious what this means. You know, there's a kind of credulity that everything around me is a sign, you know, that, that, that book on my shelf that, that speaks about this decision is, is in a different place than I saw it yesterday. As a matter of fact, someone took it out and left it in the front. And that's amazing because that's clearly a sign that God is telling me to make that decision. So, the, the, so you're, you're between those two things. And I guess the, the, the poles you're between are both speaking a truth. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the skepticism side, it says that, well, discernment really is about using the greatest gift that God gave you, your reason. Mm. Your reason is a gift that God gave you that bears within it his image, his image, your intellect, and then your free will that implements whatever your intellect judges to be true and good and proper uh, in accordance with God's will. So, so that's the foundation is, is do you know, are you, are you clear on what kinds of things God wants you to do and what direction God would want you to go um, in, in general that applies to everyone? And do you know the ways to apply those general uh, principles or ideas to particular situations in ways that will assure that, that you accomplish the good thing that you see has to be done in the best way possible? So it's both you know, general ideas, you know, this is generally how God works, and this is the best way to carry that out in practice. You have that side, and then you have the openness to what God can be saying to you in the moment, speaking to you uh, in, 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 a, in a, a live kind of way through the arrangement, providential arrangement of events in your life and things that happen, et cetera. So, so between those two things, you're, you're trying, you're trying to, to navigate between them. Uh, I, I think. So what's so, a practical, so this is the, the, what's a practical takeaway? A practical takeaway. So you mean in terms of an example or just yeah. kind of how to apply that? Yeah, how to apply that. That's it. So go ahead. Let me let me use an example. I use myself as an example, which is always a perilous thing, right? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to create the heroic narrative like I just talked about. So uh, I'll try to be honest and real about it, but show how I think these things in this case worked in the way that I, in my life, uh, probably one of the most 
the clearest applications of this principle I've experienced. And hopefully that will make the point. So, um, and I think I may have even told this story on the show before Mario. So par- pardon me if I have That's listeners right. are hearing to hear it again. <laughs> but when, as you remember well, when I, uh, not long after I came here in 2012 and 2013, <laughs> Father, our, our rector asked me, uh, I came here to be a professor to teach full time. That was my dream. That's why I came here. We moved here so I could teach because that's what I love to do. And then within six months or so, the rector, you know, noticed that I had gifts. Well, what seemed to him gifts for administration because I had done administration for so many years. And he had a need at that time for an academic dean who could combine both uh, a love for teaching and understanding of teaching and, and, and of the faculty itself and its needs and uh, administration. So he asked me one day, uh, he kind of sprang it on me very, very, you know, in a kind of very um, nice way. <laughs> it wasn't a soft serve, but it was, it was, it was, it was a pretty, pretty, uh, a pretty uh, persuasive serve. And said, we really would like you to consider this. The Archbishop and I would like you to consider this position. And everything in me, Mario said, you know, I, I, at that moment, I thought, well, I came down here, right. you know, I came down here to, to, yeah, to teach. Uh, and, and this is contrary to that. So, so, you know, is this an example now of God saying, you know, that, that the very thing I want to do that's the desire of my heart clearly is not what God wants, right? So that maybe it seems like that, but let me, let me see how it played out. So he asked me this, and then after he asked me that, then he said, you know, what do you think? What's your first reaction? I want you to discern this. I want you to pray about this with your wife. I want you to you know, kind of think through this first, which is marvelous. That's the way it should be done, obviously. But I want to ask you what's your knee jerk. And I said, my knee jerk is no, I don't want to do it. I have no interest in doing this. I gave up administration and moved, you know, a thousand miles. Uh, to, to, to get or you know to get away from that and to teach, I said. But of course, I'll 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 think about it. So, so uh, I walked away from that meeting from the, in the dining room. I went to the chapel immediately before I called Patty. I thought I just have to go in the chapel. I have to get my head straight. I have to focus myself right now, <laughs> collect my thoughts before I call my wife and, and talk about this and then begin that process. And I went into the chapel. And went into the front of the chapel. And there was no one in there that I could see, at least. <laughs> and uh, I knelt down in front of the a sanctuary, in front of the tabernacle. And I said in a, in a loud voice, as I thought no one was in the chapel. I hope no one was. I said, really? <laughs> really? <laughs> really? <laughs> I said it three times. I remember saying it three times. <laughs> like, you know, um, and then uh, thinking to myself, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And then I kind of went back, you know, I, but, but I have to at least consider the possibility. So I'm praying. So I get quiet for a minute and I'm just kind of kneeling there. And, and, I, and I, as much as I could say, within me, I heard a voice, some sense of a voice that said, at least as it, as it appeared very strongly and clearly in my mind, it was three words, carry my cross, mm. carry my cross. And I remember saying, we have to bleep this out again. I remember saying out loud again in the chapel, I said, crap. <laughs> because I, I seemed to catch the implication of that phrase, uh, what that means. So I, I left that. I went to talk to Patty. And then I went on retreat, had a lot of conversations, had a conversation with my spiritual director several times on the retreat, just kind of thinking it through. And what I realized in the end was this, Morris. So this is my point here. So you have in that my, my, my judgment kind of deciding, you know, what do I have as gifts? How do I want to live this out best? How can I make use of this for my family to support my family, to serve the seminary and, and et cetera, and others best? Um, my desires in my heart, which is to teach um, this, 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 this voice that intervened, not with any, any words other than the ones I knew 
all of my faith life, which are carry my cross, standard fare for Christianity. It is, it is not nothing unusual. Uh, but that phrase, carry my cross, gave me a way of thinking about my decision that pulled me out of myself and said, you know, what is my desire? My desire is to teach. What do I love? I love education. I love, I, I love being part of the formation of seminarians. And how can I maximally contribute right now based on the needs that have been presented to me by those who are responsible for the institution as a whole? Well, the need right now that seems best, most needed, and, and what I seem to match is, is this kind of work. And I could see that this work would allow me to do both, to still love my education, love my theological education, love teaching, love this work, and serve it in this particular way. Uh, and, and, and my deepest desire, when my more redeemed moments, is to carry the cross, is to do exactly what the Lord, that's my deepest desire. I, I want to do that. I want to follow him. Um, I don't want the pain. I don't like the difficulty but I want to follow him and I want to love as best I can. So th at the end of that process, it, it seemed clear to me that the best decision uh, was to accept that offer uh, and place my gifts in service to that, not knowing how, it, I mean, I, I was like, I could fail. I don't know anything about seminary administration. I don't know anything about this. I could fail, um, but I'm willing to try this and take a risk. Um, and so I ultimately made the decision and I had tremendous sense of peace around it, even if I had a sense of resistance within me, uh, clearly early on. And then even throughout the years, I did it. I mean, there, there was challenges throughout the whole time. And then eventually I stepped down from it because I felt like I had done my job mm -hmm. and I had reached my limit. Right. Um, so let me interrupt you there because so, I think that, you yes. know, I know it sounds like obviously like what we were talking about earlier in terms of God, we'll see this as another example that God was pulling you to do the exact thing that you didn't want to do. And that runs contrary to the principle that we were talking about before, which is that it's, again, there's always a balance in all of this. And it's not that it ran contrary, but rather, as you said, yeah. there was a real place of discernment that you had to enter into and saying, okay, what am I willing yes. to negotiate? What am I willing to let go of in this moment, considering the practical realities that, that are presented to yes. me? And so if I'm willing to let this go for, for at least a time and to say, okay, I can still teach. I may not be able to do full-time teaching as I did before, but still can teach. And I could still serve in an education capacity and still serve in the seminary capacity. Then it's still in alignment with what I thought. It just is looking a little bit different than, than, than what I initially expected. Um, and so, so I think it's a, it's a beautiful story. Now, now, Tom, I, I do, sorry, I don't, I'm trying to, not trying to rush you here, but, but I know there's one more no. point that I know you want to make. And so I, I want to be able to give you enough time to be able to articulate this. So we want to be able to find a balance between, um, the skepticism and, uh, what was the other word that you used? Um, credulity. credulity, you know, in terms of like being skeptical at everything, but just taking everything at face value, there has to be kind of a balance between, between both and not being overly, yeah. um, it, overly interpreting of every sign. Look, that cloud looks like a halo. Therefore it means that that's what God wants or, or, or yeah. being too negative of, or Got too it. opposite of that. Well, God keeps telling me this and, and maybe I should, you know, whatever. So finding the right balance yes. in that is great. One of the last areas of the sermon, I think it's important for us to at least cover, even if it's just for a couple of minutes, is sometimes though when we um, trust other people's discernment over ours, or when we we go to supposed yeah. um, prophets or or uh, individuals who sure. who have some type of spiritual gift, which they may have for sure, and I'm not saying otherwise, um, but that we may listen to their voice rather than the voice God has given to us. And a quick story that I want to share here yeah. is. is 
Um, when Chris and I were first married, and I think I've shared this on the podcast, and if I haven't, then then I'm happy to share it. Um, when Chris and I were first were first married, um, we worked in, in, and I think may have said it at the same time we talked about this. Um, we worked in in a community, a rural community in Alabama, and there was a visionary who was there, and the priest who was there believed that she was genuinely seeing visions of God, and and she and he said to us, "Listen, I believe that what she's seeing is real." But if she ever tells you that um, God is is telling you to do something that God Himself sure. hasn't already revealed to you, don't pay attention to it. Like just disregard it sure. lightly and um, only trust trust what's going on in your heart. And man, that was that advice to this day has guided me through many many pitfalls. Sure. Because when we find this insecurity and when we're looking for permission and we don't have good skills or we're, we're a little too credulous, a little bit too uh, naive or open minded to things, and we're not skeptical enough, we may take comments that people might say, well-intentioned comments that people might offer in a prayer circle, in a prayer group, uh, or something where people just, you know, seeing somebody, they may just say, oh, hey, you must think this, or you must do this, or whatever. They're well-intentioned, and they're polite, but but that doesn't necessarily mean that's what God's calling you to. So how do we navigate that in terms of bringing this full circle between opening ourselves up to criticism and to the influence of others, but but not to the point where we are discrediting sure. our own ability to discern and taking the value of uh, or taking the comments of others who may be more spiritual than us or or, or quote unquote holier than us um, over over our own work. How do we find that balance? Tom? Yeah, that's excellent. It's very good, and and actually, it's certainly been part of my own journey as well. Uh, encounters with that throughout my my life. So I've 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 had encounters with. With people who have claimed to have this kind of medium status, in other words, serving as mediums to God, it's a good with way. with an unfiltered, yeah, that, that, which is different than mediation, which acknowledges that the go-between has a filtering kind of um, translating, interpreting role in the process, which depends on the capacity of the person who does that. There's no such thing as a medium in our tradition where someone speaks with an unfiltered voice, right. the immediate voice of God. Uh, uninterpreted and so forth. So I think that's very important. First of all, people who see uh, people who have prophetic gifts or whatever you might call them, words of knowledge or visionaries, et cetera, see them as mediums and go to them for, you know, like soothsayers for, you know, give, give me the, the the thing I should do in the moment. What is God saying to me in the moment as if this person is, is, is passing through them again, an unfiltered voice of God that that is immediately, you know, that's a lie. And John of the Cross has a whole section in his Ascent of Mount Carmel uh, on this and on the fact that those who receive these extraordinary charismatic gifts or things like that have so many uh, limiting factors uh, built into what happens between the action of grace in them and the transmission of that into language and advice. So many things that happen in the interim between them that it, it requires lots of. Uh, deciphering and putting into a larger context. Uh, how does this fit into the bigger context of my discernment? And I think that's where I would hone a lot of my focus, Mario, is that you, whenever someone gives you that kind of, 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 a, of input from what they claim is some kind of inspired source like that, you, you always see this as simply part of a larger picture. If that becomes your discernment and you take the larger picture out in which that gets filtered and set into the bigger picture, then you are in big trouble. I'm just saying yes. right now, you are now you are now subjecting yourself to the possibility that that person who is doing this, and they may be good intentioned, uh, will very likely manipulate you to all kinds of things. Whether they're, they're aware of it or not, doesn't matter. Whether they're doing it maliciously or innocently, doesn't matter. 
you submitting yourself to someone else's authority and control and power uh, in a way that you never were intended to. Um, so to submit any, so what, this is what I do, for example, when someone says to me, the Lord, I mean, I've had so many people tell me over the years, the Lord told me to tell you this. I'm like, oh, wow. Why didn't he tell me first? I'm surprised. My AirPods um, are working. That's why. Yeah, right. My AirPods, maybe I had them on, you know, shut noise out or something. What do they call that when you block the noise out? Active noise cancellation. Yeah. Active noise cancellation. I must have had that on when he was speaking to me, but thank God you had yours off. But um, but I'll say to them, I'll say, thanks for the input. That's how I always put it. Thanks for the input. I'll take that. I'll take that into consideration. I really appreciate that, which, you know, puts it for me exactly where it belongs. It doesn't discount it skeptically out of hand, but it says, um, I'll, I'll think about that in the light of the larger picture of life. And, and I believe that all discernment fundamentally, say Thomas Aquinas says that discernment fundamentally is an act of judgment, of prudence, of your reason, discerning what we know of God's will already, putting that into practice. And then within that context, we fit the spontaneous re- things that happen along the way into that as we as we best are able in the context of prayer, uh, conversation with others who help keep us, you know, open and, and, and grounded, et cetera, and allowing the fruits of our decisions to play out, right? A lot of times we can't know the will of God until we've already decided something and then see what comes out of that. And then we learn things we never would have learned before and we can keep, you know, but I think that not to make anyone's claim to uh, inspiration to you, the centerpiece of your discernment will free you from so much danger. Mm. There's so much danger. I've been burned severely by it. And I've watched many people severely burned. And I've watched people, I use this, this image earlier, people just wander in chaotic, fragmented circles endlessly. God God is telling you this, and then this, and then this, and then, and they don't go anywhere. Uh, and, and they live in constant a sense of doubt or wanting the next thing or craving the next thing. And John of the Cross says what, one of the most dangerous approaches to that stuff is to want more of it. Mm. If it comes, it comes. Uh, and then you, you know, deal with it, receive it and discern it and do what you, what you will. But in, you in don't terms of want those kind of preternatural experiences. If you those want, preternatural, if you want more right, of that, these miraculous kinds miraculous of things, things yes. these words of knowledge, these prophecies, yeah. these visions, whatever it is, this visionary, tell me this, or this person that goes, you don't want to seed your, I mean, ultimately, you are the captain of your discernment. Uh, yes, you're submitting to the will of God. Yes, you're working in concert with others and being open to them. But in the end, it is your judgment. You are the one alone who can make the final discernment uh, of what it is you are being asked to do. No one else has that capacity. Everyone else can give you advice. You can, of course, give yourself over to a certain amount of uh, authority of other people in your work or your, you know, your vocation, etc. But in the end, it has to remain you. Um, and there has to be a fundamental trust that if God wants to lead you in a direction, he's not just going to work by these external people to tell you what to do so that you give up all your own responsibility and sense of agency, waiting for the next thing. When is he going to speak to me? And what does that person say? Um, and, and, and yeah, anyway, so I think, I think that's the danger. And the danger for people who are, are the ones who claim the prophetic gifts or the word of knowledge is that they, they allow themselves to get in that business, to not make it clear to people that what I'm offering to you is what I am hearing, is what I am seeing, what I'm thinking. Take it as my judgment. If it's a judgment under grace, uh, may it bear fruit in your life. It's not. If it's not, may you just set it aside and move on. In other words, the person who brings that has to bring a humble countenance with them to the person and not give this kind of aura of authority that is dangerously uh, beyond what anyone should kind of present themselves as. So, I mean, 
and there's a lot to say about that in terms of the way in the history of the church that's played out. But but um, but yeah, we don't have time for that. So we'll have to say we we'll that. I guess but for, I'm so happy. I'm so happy you brought us to that at the for, end, though, for another episode. Uh, Tom, I just I guess the final point that I want to make recapping that is really the, the key that you're making about really it's the whole episode, which is um, we can't abdicate our, our responsibility in our decision making. And it would be nice if we could just get a particular word from somebody mm-hmm. uh, to make that clear or if we could just get that particular sign. Now, again, those things could be part of a larger discernment for sure. And they could, it's not, there's nothing wrong necessarily to ask for those things. There's nothing inherent wrong with no. that, with get, doing a or novena to, to resin, asking for the roses to, to determine or something. I mean, like, but it, but it has to be part of a larger program with regards to conversation, to regards to practical decision-making, um, to assessing what's before you and, and using your reason to be able to make a decision. And so grace builds on nature, as we always say. And so then these miraculous kind of experiences should fit within the paradigm that God has 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 operated within you. Now, again, as you said, there are the road to Emmaus moments, but, uh, but, but even in the, that circumstance, Paul still took the time afterwards to get the training that he needed. Um, uh, Mother Teresa, similarly, it was years bef- before she started the order after that experience on the train. I mean, so there was still, it wasn't like instantaneous. There was still other virtues that were instilled um, even after that miraculous um, opportunity. So how yeah. not to discern is 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 at the core to 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 think that it's going to be easy, I would say, or or to think sure. that you're going to have the, the 100% clarity that you're looking for. We have to, we have to, um, accept some of the the um, the gray or or the lack of clarity um, as we make decisions. And so I'll say this: this will be my 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 final send off here. And it's kind of a humorous story that I that I like to share. Uh, the movie Hitch. I know it's an older movie now at this point. It was the story of it's a movie of Will Smith and and um, uh, uh, the the actor's name just escapes me. Um, Will Smith plays like this dating kind of coach or whatever. And he's working with this guy, um, trying to help him. His name is really escaping me right now. Trying to help him, trying to pick up a girl. And there's one scene where he's teaching him how to kiss. And uh, in in the scene is is Will Smith kind of saying, "You got to come in ninety percent. You know, ninety percent is 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 what you got to do. You got to give her ten percent to kind of to kind of uh, make up the difference." And so the the scene is, you know, he comes in ninety percent, and, and he says, "Like, all right, do it to me." So the guy comes in, is over aggressive, and just like kisses Will Smith or whatever. And Will Smith like he's like, "Man, come on, man! I'm supposed to ninety percent, ninety percent." But anyways, it, it's kind of a funny scene of like not, God takes us ninety percent of the way. Is the point that I'm making? Like the ten percent is our own. That's, that's the point. That there's good. always supposed to be this this t- this bit that's there. That if it's not there, then we then we don't have free will, and uh, we're just robots, and uh, we're we're just. Uh, uh, Pinocchio on strings, and, and that's not the point of the yeah. story. The point of the story is that that we're not supposed to have strings, and that you become a real person um, through sacrifice and through virtue and through through gift of self. Um, no, that that's 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 brilliant. And and I guess the the last little thing I'd say to, to build on that that I would end with very briefly, I promise, uh, is that the the prayer of Thomas Merton, yes, uh, which begins, "Lord, I have no idea where I'm going." Um, is I, I think in many ways, although it's, it doesn't say the entirety of what discernment is about, because it can't simply be about that fact that we admit our our ultimate ignorance. And in the light of eternity and divine providence as an entirety and totality, my knowledge of whether I'm doing his will uh, in accord with that providence in a way that's maximizing his glory and the fruits that can be born with the gifts that I have 
and the, the love that I'm able to, to bring about in the world and so forth. My knowledge of that is imperfect and, and, and partial always. And he has a line in there, though, which is magnificent, which is that, that I believe that the desire to please you, though, is itself pleasing to you. Amen. Regardless of whether the particular judgments I've made along the way are, are correct or not in the final analysis in terms of doing what would, what would have been best in terms of my being able to bring to bear the most good possible in my life. Um, that in the end is for his providence and the trust in the fact that the way his providence works is that failure is itself the supreme means by which he brings about the greatest good. And so that very reality in my trusting in that providence in doing my best earnestly as I'm able to um, and moving ahead in hope and trusting in mercy, uh, and, and in fact, will bear vastly more fruit than the scrupulous person who's paralyzed by every decision to make sure that they've exactly accorded themselves with everything God wants that will never happen. And you've, you've, you've given him no opportunity to make use of the failure involved with risk that he loves to work most through. Amen. All right, Tom. Well, Amen. dear listener, Corazio, um, to the heights, verso alto. To the heights. Do it. You got to climb it. Amen. You got to climb the mountain. There's no elevator that gets you to the top. There's no uh, little tram that's going to kind of just get you all the way to the peak, one foot in front of the other, and uh, know that we're all doing it together. We're all stumbling in the dark, um, you know, walking this journey uh, together, uh, arm to arm, praying for one another. So, Tom, thank you so much for, for joining me on the show. As always, thank it's you. a pleasure. God bless you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. God bless you, brother. All right, well, that does it for my episode with Dr. Tom Neal. And again, what we're trying to offer is some clarity, hopefully some direction to be able to guide you in the discernment process. We in no manner, shape or form are, are speaking negatively about the charismatic renewal. I really just want to state this very clearly, especially with that last kind of point that we were making. Some people genuinely have sincere gifts of prophecy or words of knowledge. Some people are genuinely capable of being able to offer that for the greater good of the church. All we're saying is that even if those, you know people in your life who have those gifts, praise God that they have them, but they're not infallible. That's the point that we're trying to make, is to be able to listen, to receive what those gifts are, but then also be able to, to interpret that within your own experience and being able to fit that in terms of what God is asking of you. So thank you guys for listening to the episode. I hope it's brought some clarity with regards to these questions of the sermon. So keep moving forward. Keep checking out the podcast. Uh, great episodes on the sermon. If you've, this is the first time you've listened or one of the early episodes here, please check out some of those previous ones that I've mentioned. Hopefully it will give you some clarity about how to be able to make decisions. So God bless everybody and be good. <laughs>